So I have this friend. He's been in America since he was three years old. But before that, he was born in Korea. And though he's been here since the 80s, America is all he knows. <laughs> he, he even has LeBlanc as a last name. But now he's forcing deportation. What would you say? Well, that's not my story. But that's the story of Justin Chan's Blue Bayou. And that's the movie we're talking about this week. The Umbra Silicone. Amber Speed. Sound production, take one. Hey, y'all. How are we doing this week? You know me. My name is Avery. I am the host of this wonderful podcast, The Unbound Cinefim, and I'm so excited to be talking to you all this week. I know it might have been a little bit of an emotional couple of days, starting July 1st with the release of Volume 2 of Stranger Things 4. Um, Of course, we won't get into it, no spoilers, just take care of yourselves because there was there was a lot to unpack in the three hours that unfolded in those two episodes um but that's of course not what i'm here to talk to you all about um the movie that i want to talk about this week is the blue bayou directed by justin chon this is a 2021 film and if you haven't heard of it before um it was released september 17th of 2021 and so it's not like fairly recent but it's now on HBO Max and Hulu with a premium subscription. So it's now just more accessible than it was before. Um, and yeah, I recently watched this with my mom, actually. I, I think I'd see, maybe seen a preview of it somewhere. And I was like, oh, you know, this looks cool. But it's, it wasn't something that I was going to go searching out for like I did the black phone. <laughs> Um, I wasn't waiting on it for a year or anything, but it was on HBO Max one night and I just decided to play it. We watched the trailer and we went for it and nobody could have prepared me, us, for what we watched, for the emotions we felt, for the entire just energy and the art of the movie. And it really hit me in a way that I was really inspired to make it my first my first review of season two of the podcast um I I didn't really (laughs) give an announcement of like okay here's the end of season one but I mean I just you know we just kind of live 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 life day by day so um yeah I'm very excited to be starting off season two with this movie because I think it's a movie that everybody can take something away from, can take something, yeah, can take something away from, um, and it can move everybody emotionally in, in a different way, and so, yeah, I, uh, I'll go ahead, I'll talk about the, this, you know, kind of just the summary of the movie itself, um, without spoiling it and I'll talk about you know how I liked it my review and then I'll get into say with me the nitty-gritty of it um because there's a lot to unpack and if you don't look close enough you might just miss it so 
Uh, the Blue Bayou follows Antonio LeBlanc. He is a Korean American, and he's you know in his in his early late thirties, and he's just really trying to provide for his family, who is his pregnant wife and then his stepdaughter, and um, him and his stepdaughter stepdaughter have a very special relationship. They're kind of like two peas in a pod. And he wants to try to get an extra job. Um, he he ta- He's a tattoo artist, but he also wants to do something else so that he can make supplemental money for when his second child comes. And he's having troubles with that, but in the midst of trying to um, find another financial outlet... He also gets wrapped up in law enforcement and or with law enforcement, I guess I could say, and it causes him to face the potential of deportation back to Korea, a place where he was adopted from and left at the age of three in like the 80s. And so uh, this movie really just follows his struggles with identity, his struggles with, um, you know, not not just identity because that's kind of broad, but his cultural identity more specifically. Um, it follows his struggles in terms of responsibility. It follows the the concept of family and what exactly that just means um, all around, but also specifically to Antonio and the people around him. And so it's a very strong movie in terms of themes and I think that it's one of those movies it was it was at the um I I think it's pronounced Cannes I'm pretty sure (laughs) the Cannes Film Festival um I don't know if it was 2021 or 2022 um but it it was shown there. I know that it received a lot of praise there. And that's probably why, you know, like, we're just now seeing a lot more about it. Um, but it, and it's one of those movies where it's considered an indie film. It, it didn't have, like, a large theatrical release, at least from my knowledge. Focus Features picked it up. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure for a lot of people... Their first time seeing it is going to be on HBO Max when they first load the app. And so it's really upsetting to know that movies with such strong um, minority representation get so little marketing. Um, it's, it's so... It's frustrating because a movie like this gives you know, multicultural representation. It takes place in New Orleans. It it takes place, you know, you show you see the Vietnamese American community within New Orleans and that's such a niche kind of community that we don't see stories about at all. It's kind of like when if you've ever had a moment where it's like you're like there's black people in Germany. There's there's black people in in Asia and it's like Yes, <laughs> there's all kinds of people from all kinds of different backgrounds in all parts of the world. But because we're so used to seeing one type of face or one type of identity on screen, we don't even it doesn't even cross our minds. And so that's the main thing that I really love about this movie. It was it was shot on um, 16 millimeter millimeter film 
And so that really adds to the art and the beauty of the movie. Justin Chan did an interview with LA Times about Blue Bayou, and they asked him what the purpose was for the 16mm, and he says, um, it feels like I'm watching people live. I'm watching, and, and for me, watching it, it kind of felt like I was watching a home movie at times. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like the 16 millimeter effect, the graininess um, and the, the color grade of it kind of goes in and out. You know, it's noticeable in certain times, but also not as noticeable in other, you know, in other times. But um, it really felt like I was watching just like a VHS or, you know, somebody's just like something on a camcorder. And so it felt so authentic and very personal and intimate and so when you add that and then everything else going on in the movie with the characters relationships the character dynamics the character the characteristics um it all just adds to your emotional attachment to the story and the characters themselves and so yeah I think you know this movie makes a really good commentary on um the immigration system in America and even at the end, like, you see a list, it, it gives you a list, or kind of like a slideshow, I guess you could say, um, of actual Asian American, they're not all Asian American either, like, they're just all American citizens adopted from various other countries who face deportation because of immigration laws in America. And so, you know, you're given a story um, of Antonio LeBlanc and you see his struggles and everything like that and while yes it's a fictitious story you soon see that this storyline has happened to multiple real people in real life who you know they it, it wasn't fake for them it wasn't fictitious for them and so that really does kind of like hit it home as well Overall, I love this story, even when trying to, like, find things that I liked or that I didn't like. It was so hard to find something that I did not like. And if, it, if there was something I didn't like, it was always like, I don't like that character. <laughs> it, it was never, you know, it was never a fact of, you know, the, the, the direction of the story or the way that the movie was shot or nothing like that. Um... So, yeah, I think the only thing that I, mm, yeah, there really wasn't anything. Um, so I think on Letterboxd, I give it a five out of five because it was just, it was really amazing. <laughs> um, and, you know, I love Justin Chan. We've all, we've all seen him. If you were a Twilight fan in, you know, 2009 or if you were a Windy Woo Homecoming Warrior fan in 2007. I'm pretty sure that's that's when it came out. Um, and, I mean, he was in earlier works before that. But he had a very kind of, like, stagnant character throughout uh, Twilight. He was in 21 and Over. And he just kind of, you know, even in his L.A. Times re review, not review, even in his L.A. Times interview, he talks about how, like, him as an actor in, you know, 2001, 
his options for roles were so limited as an Asian American. And, uh, you know, so he, he really just took the opportunities where he saw them. And now he's able to, he's directed at least three movies at, at this point. Um, he had a, he had a hand in Pachinko, the, the recent, um, Korean film. He also has another movie called, I believe it's called Miss Purple. Um, so he, he's just such a multi-talented, um, person in Hollywood and he has such a, he has such a great mission, um, that he really tries to bring alive in every single one of his projects. Um, you know, he even says in his interview, he says, the only thing that I can do in Hollywood is make art that's truthful to me and authentic to what I feel. And he, he does that. That's exactly what he does. Um, so applause to him, my man. (laughs) Um, so yeah, now I'll, I'll get into the synopsis. Um, not the synopsis, but I'm gonna start spoiling it. So if you haven't seen it or... If you're not afraid of it being spoiled, if, if me spoiling it doesn't ruin your experience at all, keep listening, friends. Keep listening. Keep your ears open. Um, but by all means, you know, go watch this movie. Um, yeah, just absorb it. Absorb everything that it offers to you. And uh, report back to the Unbound Cinefam Instagram, Twitter, my letterboxed. And let me know what you thought. So, let's get into it. (sighs) The movie opens up, um, like, literally before you see anything, you hear a Korean lullaby. It's called Jajanguri. And it's sang in the beginning by a woman. At this point, we don't really know who this woman is. Um... And we also don't even really know that it's a lullaby either. It kind of... Like, I had to look it up to even know that it was a lullaby itself. Um, But beyond that, we see a woman rowing down a canal, humming the lullaby. And then kind of um, overcasting this shot is blue water shimmering as the camera looks up at the woman in the boat from underwater. So it's kind of like and we and we get these shots of you know like this blue water um this woman in a boat and so it sets it up like there's another story being told at the same time of Antonio's story. And you get piece by piece by piece. And so by the end of the movie, you you understand who this woman is that we're seeing, right? But it's just kind of like one of those things where, okay, they're showing this. Lock it in your brain. Keep it. Kind of like wrap it up in saran wrap and, and leave it for later. So after we do get this intro, then we're introduced to Antonio. And uh, the the scene where we see him, it is very grainy. It's very just like, like I was saying, kind of like a home movie kind of thing. Like how, if you've ever watched like interview tapes, right? It was very much like that. He's in a job interview. But the very first question that he's asked is, where are you from? Um, and it's all by like this this man off camera. And he's looking at his resume 
But really all he's asking about is his last name because he's, you know, Antonio is visibly Asian and but he has the last name LeBlanc. And so the guy asks, he's like, where are you from? And so Antonio, you know, answers. He's just like, oh, you know, like I live about 30 minutes, whatever, whatever and whatever. And the guy off camera is like, no, but where are you really from with a name like LeBlanc? And so then that's when he explains that he was adopted and everything like this. So through this scene, we learn that Antonio, you know, was adopted at three years old. So he's never even really known Korea, um, but he is Korean American. And, uh, you know, that's just the name of his from his parents. And um, through his resume, then the man also points out he had two felonies. And... So, like, running through this interview is kind of like a front and center character breakdown of Antonio. Um, we already know, we already know most of what we need to in order to move on to the next part of the story. And so that's when, like, after this interview, we really see kind of just how disorganized Antonio's life is. Um, but he's, it's all because he's tr- really trying to just provide and succeed for his family after this interview him and jesse his stepdaughter are like running right and we're kind of like where are they running to are they just like having fun they're just doing this for fun i couldn't relate could never be me but like why are y'all running and so then they're running through a hospital we see okay they're late for an ultrasound because of the job interview right it's not just being irresponsible it's you know the the reasons behind his disorganization to to put it into words I guess um is because he's like trying to do other responsible things and so and in it's this scene that we are introduced to his wife and kind of her relationship to him how she sees him and she's like oh can we wait like my husband's almost here whatever whatever and this is the first of many times where she is patient with him um she's understanding she i mean she really believes that he's able to do what he's trying to do in this hospital scene we also meet um kathy's mom um who would be the mother-in-law and so when kathy asks for um for the doctors to wait to you know not finish the ultrasound just yet because um you know, because her husband's running late, whatever, her mother kind of gives her this look as if, like, not this again, or just, like, you know, like, you know he's going to disappoint you, or whatever the case may be, and um, so that look in itself, get, like, kind of rubs you in the way where it's like, she might not be the biggest fan of Antonio, right? Um, and, well, he finally makes it, all all cheers smiles whatever um and so between this scene and the next the next ones that follow after we also get a better feel of jesse and antonio's relationship as well um jesse sees him as her dad but she also sees him as emotional support so you know jesse has all of these struggles with you know how Antonio is going to treat her once the new baby comes and they have this conversation before Antonio is supposed to take her to school and she's like you know I I know that you're going to love the new baby more than me 
I know that, you know, you're going to pay more attention to the baby than me. And, um, Antonio tries to just like console her and say, I'm going to love y'all both the same. There, you know, there's, there's no difference, but Jesse just kind of is like, it's okay. Like I, I know that it's, it's a possibility. So that's when Antonio just kind of decides, okay, I'm going to, we're not going to school today. So he takes her to work, to the tattoo shop, and I, there are a lot of important scenes in this movie, but the scene in the tattoo shop really sets up a lot of character relationships um, between Jesse and Antonio, between Antonio and Merck, who's an ICE, um, who's an ICE agent, ICE officer, ice whatever he works for ice um his you know his boss at the tattoo shop and then his other friend ace who um he he tends to get into a little trouble with every now and then but we'll talk about that more in a little bit so and particularly um one of the more important conversations in this scene is when jesse asks merc like what his vest is for and um so Merck kind of says like oh you know my job is to like find the bad guys and and get rid of them it sets the it puts into perspective the way that Jesse is introduced to the concept of um you know like immigration officers is, you know, they're supposed to be, quote-unquote, supposed to be saving the people, saving saving the day, right? They're supposed to be getting the bad guys, the villains. Um, but then when she's later experiencing her own stepfather getting deported, it's kind of like, okay, who are the real bad guys here, right? But also making someone of the community who Antonio and Jesse and Ace and um, Kathy all come into contact with and have known for however long they've known him um, to make him an ICE agent as well. It creates this kind of like empathetic barrier to where there are opportunities for Merck to be more empathetic um but for you to empathize with Merck as well right so um following this um Jesse and Antonio leave the tattoo shop and Antonio takes her to a bayou that he likes to go to and just kind of like think you know put his thinking cap on it's in this scene where we see the chemistry between Jesse and Antonio as like stepdaughter and father and just the way that you know she's a child but he doesn't he doesn't talk to her like a child or you know like she, she he doesn't talk to her like she's incompetent because she's very smart and so he allows her to express her feelings and he doesn't try to dumb anything down to her and he's very empathetic with every single word that she says he even asks he's like what you said earlier about you know me me loving the the other baby more than you was that a a sad thought or or no he said was that a true thought or a blue thought which okay 
I like that. I'm still in it. Um, but she was like, she was like, oh, what do you mean? And so he goes through and and explains what it is or whatever. And it's in this moment where he explains like, you choose me just like I choose you. Um, you know, I, I'm going to choose both of you. And this sets in stone, like the theme of family and like parental roles and just like, you know, a, a lot of people talk about how we don't, we don't get to choose our family, right? We don't get to choose the family that we're born into or, you know, st- like <sighs> phrases like that. But at the same time, I feel like in this movie, they kind of shift that idea or that concept to where it's like, no, we can choose our family. Like, our biological parents, our biological siblings, yes, that's the family we're born into, but that doesn't have to be our family. Family is where you feel the safest. Family is where you feel at home with. Family is, and you choose those people. And we learn more about Antonio's family, um, you know, as as things actually start to unfold and how his actual, the, the family that adopted him, they literally, they adopted him and then like kind of just let him, let him live in the foster system. And so then the family that he actually lived with until he turned 18 or so, um, they were abusive and so, you know, he doesn't even really claim them as family. When asked about his family, he says they're dead. But, or like, not when he, not when asked about his family, but like his mom and dad, he says they're dead. When asked about his family, obviously, like, hands down, he refers to Kathy and Jesse. But Jesse also has a father. So, um, no surprise here. I've been saying Ace this whole time, but I've been meaning Q because Q is Antonio's best friend. Ace, which is who I was literally just about to talk about, is Jesse's biological father. Um, and there is a kind of like a, a rift of a relationship um, between Ace and Kathy and Ace and Jesse. When Jesse talks about a father, she talks about Antonio. She does not talk about Ace at all. But Ace is very adamant about being in Jesse's life. He calls Kathy's house. He visits Kathy at work. He even visits Jesse at one point at her school, tries to talk to her. He visits Antonio. And he's a cop. He's a cop. And Denny is his partner. And Denny is my, oh my gosh. Don't even get me started on him. Anyways, so yeah. Um, Ace represents the idea of not necessarily a good cop, but a complacent cop um, who is motivated by his personal desires first um, and then his morals. And so we see that as Denny is like the representation of a very, very just bad, immoral, um, very, very, like, low-valued cop. (laughs) He, he doesn't like immigrants, he doesn't like, um, 
he's he's racist he's xenophobic he's um like just he's just violent he oh my gosh he irks me so they're partners and when Jesse, Kathy and Antonio are in the they're in the grocery store this is the first time we we meet Ace actually and they hear Kathy and Antonio fighting of course at the time Ace doesn't know that that's who it is it is arguing in the aisle but he just kind of goes to check it out I guess as his job as a cop to be nosy and so when he sees that it's Kathy you know he approaches them and says whatever he's saying that's when Denny comes over and Denny trying to be like alpha male but also like I'm a ride for my for my partner whatever picks a fight with Antonio because Antonio is quote-unquote taking Ace's daughter away from him just just by simply being a father figure to Jesse that's taking Jesse away from Ace whatever more whatever like whatever thought process that is so be it so that is when most of the comp this is i would say the rising action um and so the rising action is them getting into a fight antonio tries to walk away denny continues to harass him continues to kind of like boil his blood and that's when Antonio fights back defends himself and that gets him that gets him beat up in the middle of a grocery store he gets arrested but him being arrested automatically put him on like the deportation list and so this is where a lot of the other themes come into place um, such as, you know, identity and family. So once Antonio is kind of at risk for being deported, um, a lot of things are revealed story-wise, but also character-wise. And it is the introduction of Parker, um, who kind of is like a plot driver in this sense, now, we first see her when they're at the hospital in the, like, very beginning of the movie. Um, she doesn't come back, though, until Antonio is trying to bring in more customers to get tattoos so that he can raise the money for his um, deportation, like, appeal case, right? And so she's like, oh, I want a tattoo. And... So they, you know, he brings her into his studio and she talks about the fleur-de-lis, which is, you know, the tattoo, or not the tattoo, whoa, the flower of New Orleans, you know, the New Orleans Saints, their logo, everything like that. But the fleur-de-lis is actually kind of like mimicked from water lilies. She tells Antonio of the stories from her village when she was a kid before she came to America and, you know, she told herself that if she were, were to ever get a tattoo, it would be of a fleur-de-lis. And Antonio then asks her, he's like, okay, so why now? He's like, she's like, because I'm dying. This kind of, I guess you could say, like, merges their two storylines together, 
right? Um, they're both facing a crisis. They're both, um, they have an identity that's separate from America. And Antonio almost looks to Parker as a guide to his Asian identity. Before, like if this movie were to take place and show us Antonio before all of this, before he got married, before, you know, um, even even when he was, you know, eight, between 18, 20, whatever. If we were to see him then, I think we would see an Antonio who doesn't consider him being Asian as a part of his identity. You know what I'm saying? It would be something that he doesn't really think of. Um, like for me, when I was born in Kentucky, living in Kentucky in a small town, and I was one of very few black people, I really didn't consider me, like I I obviously knew I looked different from people, um, but I didn't think about it. I didn't. I didn't consider myself to be different from anyone and it was just so so much of a second thought. And so for Antonio, it kind of seems like he's in that same boat. But now that he's found another Asian person in New Orleans, um who's you know, who's just kind of seemed to they their paths have just miraculously crossed. And now she's kind of guiding him by telling him all these stories from her childhood, from her experiences before she came to America, or even once she did come to America, and he's finding his way through his own identity as he listens to stories about hers. And it really, it really drives it further when he goes and attends a cookout at her house with all of her family. He's surrounded by all of these this entire Vietnamese family and they're singing, you know, Vietnamese songs and they're rapping spring rolls. And it's both an endearing but heartbreaking part of the movie because it's like he's never felt so close yet so far away from his Asian culture, from, you know, his own community. He, you know, he's learning so much, but in, in learning all of this, it, I think there's also a part where it's like, I could, like, this could have been a part of me this entire time. Was I robbed of it? And so, oh my gosh, I, oh, Justin Sean, so freaking smart, y'all. Anyways, <laughs> So between, you know, within Parker and Antonio's relationship and all the stories that she talks about between Antonio's view on family and and everything like that, um, this this word keeps coming up in the movie of like, you know, choosing, um, you know, chosen, just the idea of having a choice, right? Antonio um, talks to his mother about not choosing him when his father would beat on him. He was like, I asked you to come with me when I ran away and you didn't choose me. He talks to Jesse about choosing her, but also Parker talks about how her dad chose to split their family up 
as a as like a hope that at least some of us will survive if something goes wrong in efforts of you know coming to America from Vietnam and so I really I I love the way that everything is just so every detail is so meticulous every um you know every detail is intentional I love seeing intentionality in movies and books too um you know that's why I love Grady Hendrix so much is because you see like the detail that he uses you can tell that like it's not just there to push the story further but like that one detail tells a story in itself right and so everything that I'm saying about the blue bayou like all of these different details and all of these different relationships and they're all telling their own stories in their own way so it's through the stories that him and Parker swap back and forth when we learn that Antonio Antonio received a letter from his birth mom. His dad let him know um, that he received a letter from his mom, but he wasn't interested in reading it at the time. When he did go, when he did decide that he was ready to read it, his dad was like, "I already threw it away." Eventually, he did find it, and when he read it, she was pretty much just telling him like how she gave him away and that when she initially gave birth to him she tried to drown him in the river um but she couldn't go through with it and she put him up for adoption anyways and this moment is when we learn that all of these clips um of this woman are actually antonio's mom and so then the woman who's singing in the beginning, Ja Ja Jangri, whoa. The woman who's singing in the beginning, Ja Jangri, is Antonio's mom. Um and so we're kind of like there there's a parallel of stories going on. And so <clears throat> as Antonio's son is being born, I think it's a I don't know if it's a boy or girl, I don't remember. But as uh, Antonio's um child is being born and he's um you know like holding it in the hospital we also see a clip of his mom deciding to take Antonio out of the river and save his life after she tried to to drown him but regardless um so it's like you know choosing even though she gave up her rights as a parent she still took on she still chose to take on that type of responsibility just as Antonio in that moment was taking on the responsibility um in the hospital of of being a parent choosing to be the parent to that child just as he was not chosen before his relationship with parents in general was just has never been a, has never been healthy or a positive experience and i think he wishes to 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 be the parent he wished he had. Um, and I think that's why he's so accepting of Jesse. But never once does he talk down on Ace. Never once does he, you know, try to keep Jesse from Ace. Although Ace would see it differently and so does Denny. And that's why Denny does the things he does um, as as the villain of the, sto- of the story. But um, 
Antonio even tells Kathy, like, I think A should be more in Jesse's life. I think you should, you know, you should let him come around. And um, have you ever thought about how Ace feels? Because to Antonio, it's like if a parent is wanting to be a part of a child's life, like, that child is luckier than he even was for someone who couldn't even get his own parents to choose him. And, whoa, that's 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 a heartbreaker right there. <laughs> um. So eventually, um, it's it's kind of Antonio's own trauma that leads to the climax of the story, where he not only decides to go back to stealing bikes like he used to before, um, in order to get the money he needs for his deportation appeal case um but he has to confront his mother um to and he has to persuade her to come to the appeal case and you know provide a testimony as to why he deserves to stay in the country um and so you know they're rounding all these people up but he's having a hard time like coming to terms with having to face his mother after so many years um but also you know after he steals those bikes, we see that while, yes, him and Kathy seem to have this not not perfect, but like very functional relationship, um, healthy relationship, maybe there's there's there might always be a barrier when it comes to Kathy's understanding of Antonio's experiences. Antonio opens up about, you know, she she's like. She's like, you know, your way of getting money is not is not safe. It's not this. It's not that. And she's like, you won't even go see your mom. And she might be the only thing that can keep you here. And da, 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 da. She's just going off on him. And that's when he finally opens up about everything that he's experiencing, everything he's feeling. And she's like, well, you never told me. And it's like, it, it's hard to expect someone to tell you something that they're still trying to grasp themselves that they're still trying to understand in their own head. How are they going to make you understand if they they might not even understand themselves? And so, you know, Antonio finally, like, he gets everyone together, visits his mom, and the appeal case happens. And uh, as he's on his way there, Denny... And a few people show up and start beating him up. They they take him they take him out to the woods. They start jumping him. So he doesn't make it to his his appeal case. And the the whole like thing is that at the appeal case, if if like the judge denies you, you hands down have to leave. And you might not. And you like the chance of you coming back is very very slim, if at all. So the fact that he didn't show up, yeah. He has to he has to go. Once Denny and his little citizen patrol leave um Antonio in the woods, um Antonio starts walking the streets, eventually finds his bike, and he drives to the blue bayou. And he drives his motorcycle into the water. And I guess he tries to drown himself. This is kind of where all of those scenes 
of Antonio's life and then like his mother collide you could say um because as he's kind of like just like sinking into the water deeper and deeper his mom reaches into the the water and Antonio ends up merging from the water um and yeah and so he I I don't know if he really was trying to like kill himself I mean maybe he was but the movie ends very very sadly and um that that was the part that got me like the very end when they're in the airport and Ace finally comes to terms with the fact that he can't force Jesse to let him into his life he can't force Kathy to force Jesse to do anything and Antonio's literally not as bad of a person as he's been making him out to be um and this was all after you know Denny revealed to Ace that he did to Antonio what he did and he was like he like cuffed Denny to the wheel of the cop car and was like you're going to print you're going to jail and um you know that but that part was kind of like okay <laughs> we can talk about it but like mm. so that was after that and you see that ace has a little bit more sympathy than he's been letting on and so they're all in the airport and ace just wants to say bye to jesse and it's in that moment that ace and jesse are hugging that antonio is like y'all can't go with me like I can't let y'all do that. And Kathy's like, what do you mean? And he was like, I don't, like, I don't know what I'm going to do when I get there. I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't have a job. Like, I need to get there and even become settled before you all come with me. And so that's when, you know, they, they start to split up. He hugs his newborn baby. Can't even hold its own head up. And he's, (laughs) he's holding the baby and then he hugs Kathy, but Jesse will not touch him. Jesse will like she doesn't even want him to hug her to to hug her, and like yeah that hurt. But Antonio's like all right, well I guess I'll see y'all in a little bit, or like not in a little bit, but I guess I'll see y'all, <laughs> see y'all soon. And so he begins to walk away, and he keeps glancing back every now and then. And then Jesse starts screaming. She's like, no! And he, the way he drops everything, he fights the ice the ice agents off of him and just runs and, like, just, like, engulfs her in his arms. And, like, he's just... She's screaming, Jesse. Oh, my God. Just, like, thinking about it. It's, so, it's such a powerful scene, like, because you've watched their relationship this entire time. And you know that this isn't easy for, e- for either of them, but, like going back to what Parker was telling him about in terms of, you know, we, my father chose to split our family up because he would have much rather half of us survive than none of us. And so I think in this moment, Antonio's thinking that exact same thing. And it's just, oh my gosh, what a, what a great last scene. Because then the, at like, once that scene fades to black, then we hear Antonio singing De Janguri, and it's just like a, it's like a, you know, you know I love a full circle moment, but it also brings to question 
All right, is he singing this to his baby? Question mark. Does this also mean that he is becoming closer to his roots? Question mark. Yeah, there's, you know, it, it's it's an open-ended ending, but like still kind of hopeful in that. I know within that, I kind of talked about everything that I liked, but um, I I just want to hit on some specifics. And so I did like the parallels that were created between Antonio and his mother, but more specifically, Antonio's comfort with the Blue Bayou and, um, you know, like how we saw his mother, um, like on the, in the canoe, you know, rowing in the boat and stuff. Um, because it kind of made you think like, do you seek comfort in this place? Because there's like a, a more like spiritual, um, untangible connection, um, to your mom. I also really liked how we could see Antonio exploring his identity at this cookout and the waves that emo- of the the waves of emotions that came with it. So like he was learning how to build spring rolls through this little girl and it was just it was a very endearing moment because like she was just laughing at him because he wasn't doing it right but you he was having fun with it. And then you know all the stories that they were swapping back and forth um the questions about um his identity and and one thing that i really loved about it is parker's mom not mom what parker's dad was like he has he has a good face tell him that and so parker was like my dad said you have a kind face because he he said it um in the the vietnamese language and so and so parker translated it was like um my dad said you have a kind face and her dad was like that's not what i said (laughs) tell him tell him what i said and and i i wonder if that's the first time that antonio's ever heard that like because as a person of color someone who has ethnic features you might not hear you might not be complimented the same way as your white peers and the and the white people around you. And so it can it can kind of be very discouraging to know that like, you know, growing like growing up for me, I had a lot of white friends and they were always the ones who would get the dates or get the compliments. And I always thought it was just cuz I was ugly. But growing up, I realized it had a lot more to do it there were other things that it had to do with more than me being ugly (laughs) like maybe the fact that I'm black um and so just the look on his face when the dad said you have a good face it was so sweet and I was like yeah Antonio you do you do um but also there was a point in time as well where there was kind of it, it almost seemed like there was a dread that he was feeling being in this crowd of Vietnamese Americans, um, knowing that he's getting deported soon. And it's like, I think there was, there was a sense of like dread in terms of, I could have been experiencing this, this, this whole time. Um, you know, I'm going to miss this. And just, there was a bunch of just very sad feelings that he was, that he was having. Most importantly, I really like how the story is so well-rounded with every character. 
um, every every relationship and every piece of the story, they all interact with another to, you know, kind of kind of how I was saying earlier how every detail has a story of its own, and I so I think that with this story being as well rounded as it is, it's like there there's connections in everything um just between the way it was directed and shot and edited um there's such a intimate feeling to it and I think that's why I personally connected with the last scene so much is because it felt like you're watching these people live their live their lives you're you're watching like you know some VHS recordings that they just have in their basement right and so it was very personal Last but not least, amongst... Oh, wait, no, not last. Not last either. Um, I really enjoyed the authenticity authenticity of the dialogue. It wasn't... Um, it didn't feel like it was filtered. It didn't feel like they kind of tweaked it to adjust to like any type of audience. It was just... I think that Justin Chan really did a lot of research for this movie and it showed through the way that he had the New Orleans characters speaking and interacting with each other. I also really enjoyed the grandmother's role. Now, did I like her as a character? No, but she wasn't a main character. Um, she didn't. She didn't have a lot of lines. She didn't even really interact with Antonio all that much, but it was the little things that she did that spoke so much volume. And so, like, it, it wasn't... A too insignificant role um, but it wasn't also completely in the foreground either to where it kind of felt like she was unnecessary um you know because you have you have characters that are completely in the background but like you want to kind of know more about them or like it's like if you're gonna put them that much in the background just don't put them in at all or you have people who are in the foreground who are like you know why is this person here still why is this person here um, but with the grandmother slash mother-in-law, um, it, she felt like she needed to be there, quite honestly. Now, amongst all the things that I liked, there were many things that I didn't like. And one of those things being that bitch-ass cop, Denny. I never want to see that man in my life, because if I do, if I run up on him in the streets, oh, it's over. I don't care what kind of charges that I catch. I'll drag him to the woods the same way he did Antonio, and I'll show him a citizen's arrest, even though he's a cop. He was in plain clothing. He's a plain cloth cop. And one thing that I don't like is a plain cloth cop. Mm-mm, no. Um, yeah, didn't like him. And we didn't get a lot of backstory on Jesse and Aisha's Ace's history as father and daughter. You know, we get details in passing about how him and Kathy didn't have a very established relationship uh before Jesse came along and but but even then like it's like has Ace just never been like when did Ace decide okay I want to be a father you know what I'm saying why is he this adamant now what what sparked his interest in wanting to get to know Jesse more especially since them they're in the same town they live in the same town it's kind of like if you're always just like in the in the vicinity what 
it just, I don't know. I just need more information on that. Not even, like, a whole scene or anything. Like, nothing too excessive. But I just feel like you show us all of all of this, like, trying, trying, trying with Ace. And, like, it's like, okay, but where's where's all this coming from, you know? But that's, you know, that's one thing that Justin Tron really wanted to do with this story is um he wanted to create an empathy towards cops and ice agents in his la times uh interview he said as much consideration as i'd like for somebody to give me and my identity i have to be able to give it back and i honestly i think that's very valid now y'all know how i feel y'all know how i feel when it come when it come to come to a man in blue woman in blue man in blue non-binary in blue somebody in blue you know how I feel but I also think that's very valid in itself because further in his interview he talks about how you don't know there's what situation they found themselves in um that mm, led them to the decision of becoming an ICE agent or a cop agent he said I don't believe that all you know cop and ICE agents are necessarily bad but within that, I have to say that you you don't have to be a morally outright morally bad person. But to see the way that the system is built and working for a system that is inherently bad or evil in a way kind of makes you bad. If I I mean, I don't know. But, and that that's why I say, like, Ace's, Ace's, like, arrest on Denny, I, like, I, I get the purpose for it, but we all know that's not how cops arrest other cops. Like, there are unions in place to make sure that, that cops, you know, get lenient sentences compared to regular citizens, like, stuff like that. And so, I, I get what that scene was trying to do. But, like, factually, I was just kind of like, yeah, all right. But, overall, love this movie. Like I said before, on um, on Letterboxd, I give it a, a 5 out of 5 because it was just, it was done beautifully. There were so many great, like, stills. Like, if I just took a screenshot of a scene, like, wow, I could hang it up in a museum, you know? Um... I I think all of you should watch it and enjoy it for what it is, as every movie that I recommend. Um, and yeah, I, I I love how these movies are done where, you know, I think with a lot of movies that Justin Chan does, but with this one specifically, um, it, it takes a real life issue and it fictionalizes it to make it more digestible but it still does not leave out those factual parts of it and like I said it makes it a lot more digestible for for somebody who doesn't necessarily like to watch documentaries right um and so this is it's more digestible and accessible all in itself you can catch this movie on HBO Max or Hulu with a premium subscription um and yeah, you can find me on Instagram at the Unbound Cinefin Pod. 
You can find me on Twitter at the Unbound Cinefem, and you can find me on Letterboxd at Avery Cough, <laughs> C O F. Um, yeah, let me know what you think about the movie, what you think about this episode or the podcast in general. Um, leave a five star review, a three star, a four star. Be honest, you know. I don't, I don't like, I don't like any any type of people pleasers. Come on, um, let me know how you really think. You won't hurt my feelings any any more than than I hurt my own feelings. <laughs> and yeah, thank you for giving it a listen, and I hope to catch you all next episode.